and welcome to Elucidations, a philosophy podcast recorded at the University of Chicago. I'm Matt Teichman. And I'm Mark Hopwood. With us today is Richard Kraut, professor of philosophy at Northwestern University, and he is here to talk to us about goodness. Richard Kraut, welcome. Glad to be here. One of the ideas that you've been pushing lately is that there's this contrast between something being good and something being good for something else. Uh, so maybe you could explain that a bit. What does a philosopher have in mind uh, when he makes that contrast? Okay. I think the notion of something being good for someone is deeply embedded in common ways of talking, and it can be expressed in a number of different ways. We talk about what is in someone's interests or what benefits someone, what is advantageous, where someone's well-being lies. And I think those are concepts that we constantly use as justifications for what we're doing. But I think there is also a use of the word good, which sometimes has been called the absolute use of the term, in which something is said not to be good for anyone, but is simply said to be good, period, with no further terms that follow the word good. So that's, again, very different from another very common use of the term good, where good is followed by a noun, and something is being called good, a good person, a good knife, a good movie, something is good of a kind. Those are, again, like the use of the term good for, very familiar to us, and they play an important role in justifications we give. So why should I go to this movie? Because it's a good movie. Why should I study this subject? Because it will be good for you. But there is another use of the term. It appears in common sense ways of speaking and also in some philosophical theories. And these theories or these ways of using the term imply that there's another kind of reason that we can have for doing things. It's not a matter of doing what's good for anyone or in anyone's interest. It's not a matter of uh, something's being a good movie or a good action or a good person, but something, according to these theories, can simply be good, period. And that's what I call the absolute use of the term. So some of the examples of this latter kind of goodness, absolute goodness, that naturally spring to mind are things like friendship maybe or honesty mm -hmm. these are certain things that we just want more of in the world mm -hmm. they're just good the more of them the better you've argued recently however that that's actually a use of the word good that's very difficult to make sense of so maybe you could say a little bit more about that why should we be dubious about mm -hmm. this idea of absolute goodness mm -hmm. well i think in the 20th century, there was a kind of rebellion against giving an important role to the notion of good for someone. Uh, the people I have in mind are British moral philosophers of the early 20th century, G.E. Moore, W.D. Ross, but there are many contemporary followers uh, of them in the UK and the US. And they were leery of an egoistic approach to ethics. 
an egoistic approach according to which in order for something to be justified, it had to be good for the person who was doing it. And so they used the term good in an absolute way, and they said that if friendship is something that we should cultivate, that's because it is good, period. If virtue is something that is worthwhile and that we should try to uh, inculcate, again, that's not because it's good for the person who is virtuous, but simply because it is good, period. I think that these theories overlooked another possible kind of justification. It's certainly available to us to justify the things we do in terms of their being good for other people. So there, we are still using the notion of good for, but we're not basing our reasons on self-interest, it's the interest of others. So what I'm interested in is the question, can we give an account of what we value in terms of there being good for someone or other, not necessarily for, for myself, but for society or the community? And perhaps then, if we cast our ethical theory in those terms, we don't actually need to base any justification on what is good, period. In fact, some philosophers have challenged even the intelligibility of talking about what is good, period. So some philosophers claim that it's simply a misuse of the term or it's defective semantically to even assert that something is good, period. And I'm inclined to think that that kind of linguistic critique of the use of the word good in this absolute way is not a successful avenue. I think there's maybe nothing meaningless or semantically irregular about talking about good period. So my question is, even if these claims are intelligible, do we really need to rely on them to give a full justification for the kind of relationships that we think are valuable or the kind of institutions that we have? So in the case of friendship, it's a very common idea that, well, not only should a friendship be good for one party to it, but it should also be good for another person who enters into that relationship, and it might also need to be good for society in general. So we have a way of thinking about friendship that is close to common sense that asks, is it good for people? And my worry is that there really is no further question to ask about friendship or other things that are important to us once we answer those questions about whether they are good for one individual or another. I mean, I guess you want to say that it makes sense to talk about good, period, but you want to bring into question whether we need this notion of absolute goodness to build a foundation for ethics. Maybe it'll turn out that we can get by just as well. Talking about what's good for me, someone else, people mm -hmm. in general, does the same thing apply to bad? Is there such thing as bad, period? Can we get by talking about what's bad for? Uh, I think so. Um, it's possible that these are independent questions and that uh, we might not need the notion of what is good, period, but it turns out upon examination that we do need the notion of bad, period. But my thinking is that they're both in the same category as it turns out, that there may be no real need to speak of anything as being bad as opposed to its being bad for someone. To take uh, one example, 
it's coherent to say that pain is a bad thing. But we also speak of pain as something that is bad for someone to feel. We say that it's contrary to uh, someone's interests to be made to suffer. And that's a relativized notion of badness. And so the question arises about pain. Is there some insight that we get into pain or into how we should deal with it and react to it if we not only say about it that it's bad for the person that's feeling it, but moreover, it is bad, period. The idea that seems to be suggested when someone says that is that somehow there's more disvalue in the world when there is pain in it. It's as though we could simply neglect the fact that pain actually is contrary to someone's interests to feel and just focus on the mere existence of pain and recognize that as simply a bad thing. And that sounds suspect to me. I'm inclined to think that we've exhausted our reasons for being concerned about pain simply by noticing that it's actually bad for the person who is feeling it. But isn't it the case that there are certain kinds of acts that are bad simpliciter? Two things that jump to mind maybe are cruelty, maybe being cruel. It seems like that's always bad. Or maybe being cowardly. It seems like that's another kind of thing we want to say is sort of always bad simpliciter. It's bad to have more cowardice in the world. So I'm wondering what your response to that would be. I'm inclined to give the same analysis that I just proposed about pain, that we take it for granted that when someone is cruel, there's an objection to be made to that, and that has to do with the fact that cruelty leads to or aims at something that is very bad for the person who is being treated cruelty. And so once we've recognized that as a reason for wanting people not to be cruel and punishing those who are, I'm not inclined to think that there is yet another reason to oppose it. I don't think we actually need to appeal to any further reason to be concerned about cruelty other than the fact that what it's aiming at is something that is bad for people to experience. So when we were talking about the British moral philosophers who found the concept of absolute goodness to be a plausible and important one, one of the things that you said was that they were worried about ethics looking too egoistic, that it was really all about me or all about us, if you want to generalize it. Now, what if someone was to worry that that's where we're going with your view, that your view makes goodness and badness kind of instrumental, that what's really basic is what we happen to want, that mm -hmm. ethics comes down to these narrow questions of self-interest. Mm -hmm. What would your response to that kind of mm -hmm. objection be? I think that it's a mistake to take the phrase good for me or good for you to be restricted to cases in which something is good for someone as a means to a further end. And I, I also think it's a mistake to think of what is in someone's interest or what is advantageous to someone as something that is settled by that person's desires or that person's opinions. I think there are objective truths about which things are good for human beings, just as there are objective truths about which things are good for plants and animals. So you can be ignorant of what is good for 
a dog or a cat and give it the wrong kind of food and do great damage to it. It's similarly with a plant, and I think similarly with ourselves. We can have mistaken ideas about what is good for us. And um, also, I think that if there is such a thing as what is instrumentally good for someone, and of course there is, that requires that there is, in addition, something that is non-instrumentally good for that person. Because what it amounts to for something to be good for someone as a means to some further end is that that thing leads to something further which is in itself good for that person. That's an idea that goes all the way back to Plato's Republic. Plato raises the question, is justice something that is good for the just person? And when he asks that question, he's quite clear that he's not asking the question, is justice good for someone as a means to a further end? He wants to know, is justice advantageous in itself? I think that's a very important notion, and it would be a great shame if people thought that whenever we talk about what's in someone's interest, that's a subjective matter, or it's merely a matter of what is instrumentally valuable. One might wonder whether taking on your view means heading towards some kind of relativist picture, mm-hmm. according to which everything's all relative to a person. But it seems like what you're saying is that would be a picture according to which there's no fact of the matter about what's good, but there's just my opinion and Mark's opinion. Whereas it seems that you're making a different point. It seems that you're saying that there is a fact of the matter about what's good or what's bad. It's just that there's my good, which is objectively my good. There's Mark's good, which is objectively his good. And that's really the foundation from which all this proceeds. Right. Well, I think that that's right, that there is a fact of the matter regarding what is good for you. I think that there's a great deal of similarity between what is good for one person and what is good for another. So there certainly are individual differences, but there are, at the same time, broad similarities. There are also some similarities between what is good for human beings and what is good for other species. We're not entirely unique and different from other kinds of living beings. And I think part of what makes ethical life difficult is that we know that there are these broad similarities as well as differences And in order to treat other people as they deserve to be treated, we have to attend to the individual differences as well as the similarities. But that's an objective fact about others that we have to discover. What actually is good for people depends on quite a bit of acquaintance with them and the ability to perceive what their needs are. And we can't apply the same formula to each case. So what you're saying is not merely a contribution to a particular philosophical debate. It has something to say about our moral lives. What's the best way to think about them? How we should make judgments about what to do? So I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that. What's really wrong with this idea of absolute goodness in terms of the kind of effect that thinking in that way is going to have on our moral deliberations. Why would it be a bad thing for human beings to think about their moral lives in terms of absolute goodness? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I I think it's possible to use this category in ways that are 
benign. And what I have in mind is a view according to which we can say about friendship both that it is good for the individuals who are involved in that kind of relationship, and furthermore, it's a good thing for there to be friendship. The bottom line is going to be that friendship is something that we pursue and approve of for both of these kinds of reasons. The problem would occur in cases in which someone is tempted to say, well, this institution or this relationship may be bad for the individuals who are involved, but that's not the end of the matter. It may be good, period, and worth undertaking, even though it's contrary to people's interests. It's possible for people to have that view about all sorts of subjects. So someone might say, for example, the creation of beauty is something that is good in itself. It doesn't have to be justified in terms of human well-being. And so I'm going to endanger the lives of other people, or I'm going to undertake this kind of career even though it's very bad for me to do so, to bring good things into the world. And so the real issue then becomes, is there really such a thing as absolute goodness and badness such that we should devote ourselves to them even when this is contrary to human interests? One example that you've mentioned that I found interesting was that of euthanasia, that Mm -hmm. one way to object to euthanasia is to say something like, life itself is just absolutely valuable. And in saying that, to deny any argument about the kind of life that someone is having, what it's like for them, whether it's good for them to be leading such a life. It sounds like your view very much comes out against that way of thinking. There may be all kinds of reasons not to commit euthanasia in a certain case, but one of those reasons will never be that just life itself, independent of any good it has for a person, is an absolute good. Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, There is a tradition of thinking about these sorts of issues, these life and death issues, which holds that one, for example, should not ever take one's own life, even if one's life reaches the point in which nothing good could possibly happen to you. Suppose you're suffering from a very painful disease, Uh, suppose you're incapacitated and so you can't contribute to human society, you can't do anything that's good for anyone else or for yourself. There is a view according to which, nonetheless, you have a certain kind of value. It may not simply be the value of your existing. The value consists in your being a rational being. And the existence of a rational person makes the world a better place. So it would be wrong for you to commit suicide or to engage in an act of euthanasia because you're diminishing the amount of goodness that is in the world, even though it's not the kind of goodness that is good for anyone. So if I'm right that in our normal thinking about friendship and virtue and pleasure and pain, we really don't need to talk in terms of absolute goodness and badness, I think that does have implications for these life and death issues regarding suicide and euthanasia. So let's say we have person A, 
and something is good for them. I don't know. Being loud and flamboyant is good for them. And um, we have person B, and something inconsistent with that is good for them. And person A and person B need to find some way of reconciling their differences. It seems like ordinarily one way we might do that is by appealing to good simpliciter. But I'm guessing maybe you would want to say that rather than trying to appeal to the good simpliciter, we want to try to appeal to good for the two people, for A and B, or something mm-hmm. like that. Is that sort of... Well, I think it's a fact of life that there are conflicts of interest. We should, of course, try to arrange our political institutions to give people enough resources so that we don't have needless conflicts uh, among ourselves. But I think one concept that is very fundamental for addressing those issues is the familiar concept of justice. So we need to figure out ways, when there are these conflicts, of having a robust enough conception of justice and related notions desert, merit, to be able to determine when we can't satisfy everyone's needs or do what is good for everyone, determine whose good should take priority. What I don't think we need for this purpose is a further use of the word good beyond good for someone, namely good period. I think we can simply say we should address A's need in this case rather than B's because A is the more deserving individual, or A is worse off, and we should give priority to those who are worse off. But it seems to me not to be a helpful concept in this situation to talk about what is good, absolutely, or period. Richard Kraut, thank you very much for an interview that was great for all three of us. Thank you. To listen to future episodes of Elucidations, you may consult our website at philosophy.uchicago.edu slash podcasts.